Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big time defensive play! No holds bar. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Hello and welcome to another episode of Fizz 5 after a very, very busy day in Syracuse Athletics. I'm Tyler Aiken alongside Ethan Frank. I- I'm glad you're, you're, you're still with us. You're still energized. It was a long day yesterday. I mean, it was a long day for me. It was a long day for you as well, Tyler. I mean, we were up early working the Syracuse women's basketball game, a 40-plus point win for the Orange. Then we were at a different place. Uh, you were in the dome for the Syracuse men's basketball game. I was back in studio and then we were both in studio for, you know, the nightmare that was the Boca Raton bowl, Uh, the nightmare. That might be the perfect way to put it. And so with that, we turn to the Boca bowl with topic number one, number one, 45 to nothing. The largest loss by an ACC team in a bowl game. Syracuse fell 45, nothing to South Florida yesterday in the Boca Raton bowl. And, Ethan, we were speechless yesterday. Have you found the words to describe that loss? I don't even know if there are words to describe what happened. I mean, we we reacted. Uh, we were at our you know our sister station WAER um, on, on the double overtime after dark. Didn't get on the air until after midnight. So it was basically Friday at, at that point. But you look at the numbers for this game; they're not they're not pretty. Syracuse, uh, if you combine Braden Davis and Dan Valari, went ten of twenty four for hundred and thirty nine yards and two interceptions through the air. I mean, I I must say, did you see LaQuint Allen's rushing line? What, what, this is one of the funniest. What do you think? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Did you see it? You I see did stats? Not. 20 carries for two yards. Oh two. Two yards. Averaged 0.1 yards a carry. He must have had a productive second half because I know in the first half he had negative rushing yards. So Uh, I don't know how productive. I guess he got into the positive. No, I mean, the offense wasn't working at all. I've never seen this Syracuse secondary get burned more in one game this season. And that is saying something because there were some anemic showings this season by by the defensive backs. It just didn't seem like a single player had a good performance. There, There was no passion that I saw on the field. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, interim head coach Nunzio Campanelli disagrees with me there, but uh, there was just no no encouraging signs. I'm so ready to move on from that. No, it, it was bad, and you know I think everyone's ready to move on to an era. You know, Fran Brown said on Wednesday at his press conference he couldn't wait until 11:30 on uh, on uh, Thursday night. Uh, it might have been more like 12 o'clock uh, because of how long that football game went. But I, I really wonder what his message was in the locker room. I know we reacted in the moment to Nunzio Campanelli's quotes in the press conference where he said the guys played really hard. And I still sit here almost 24 hours later, still stunned that he said that. I, You know, based on everything we've seen from Fran Brown, that guy's authentic. He speaks from the heart. He speaks, you know, uh, honestly and, you know, with integrity. And maybe that's a little bit different. Uh, than, than what Nunzio Campanelli uh, said, but I am really curious what the locker room message was after that game. I'm curious as well. I don't take as much issue with uh, they played really hard part of it. The the part of the quote that really bothered me and still bothers me is the players did everything we asked them to because I just don't understand what was asked of this team then. They're, 
there was no execution. Not not a single unit on this team executed as they should have against South Florida. I mean, no, not even was, not even no. the special teams. You can't even say, oh, punter Jack Stonehouse was great because he fumbled away a touchdown. No, and it was clear the remnants of Dino Babers coaching on this team were, were still evident because there was a lack of discipline. There were game management issues. There were turnovers. There was everything you'd expect from a Dino Babers coach team or a Dino Babers developed program. And and that was the real story last night. It, there, it, there didn't seem to be direction. I know we've talked about this as well was Syracuse trying to win this game what was the plan were was were there was there an attempt to develop some of the younger players it seemed like almost none of those were the exact goals of this team and i i just wish there was some sort of specific we want to get this out of the game and i i didn't see anything no there was there's nothing to take away it's flush it down the toilet move on for people i talked to I mean, it's it's mixed opinions how much of an effect a bowl game has on you moving forward into the next season. Obviously, you'd have liked to finish with a winning record, but I think especially because you're moving over to a new head coach, it doesn't make as much of an impact. And so a 45-0 loss for the football team and the, and the head coach was was happy somehow after that game. Well, Syracuse men's basketball won yesterday and the coach wasn't happy. It was the complete opposite, and that brings us to topic number two. Number two. Immaturity was the word Syracuse men's basketball head coach used to describe his team after an 83-71 win over Niagara on Thursday in the JMA Dome. And, you know, the stat sheet doesn't look too bad for Syracuse, but it it was the effort thing that Oshie was focused on, Ethan. Yeah, he had a lot of interesting quotes. I mean, this is a team that's that's played down to the level of competition all year. You think back to the early games of the season against New Hampshire and Canisius and Colgate. Those were all really, really close games. Then, you you know, you think about last year uh, or in the last year. You think about, you know, after the Maui Invitational, Cornell was a close game. And Georgetown was a close-ish game for a team, you know, that has struggled mightily over the past few years. And now you play Niagara really close, and, and it was – I mean, you were up by 19 at one point, but it was always just a little too close for comfort. And, you know, for Syracuse, Adrian Autry, you know, he praised their maturity after Oregon on Sunday. And then on Thursday, he says his team is really immature. So, you know, I think this break will be really good for this team to kind of reset, get back to practice, work on things and get ready for an ACC schedule that if Syracuse does well and it'll have a shot to play in the postseason. It seems like defense was the biggest thing Ochi was attacking. And, I mean, that makes sense. The defense was playing so off, so soft towards the end of the game. Niagara hit eight of its last ten shots just because it didn't really seem like hands were going up. I mean, that is the sort of effort thing that Ochi was so worried about. But the Syracuse bench is really starting to come alive, and I think that has to be something encouraging going forward. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take a lot for me to start talking about this bench. I mean, if you listen to Fizz 5, if you've read the, my articles on theorangefizz.com, you know how much I love Quadir Copeland. I mean, this is a guy, uh, I've declared him the most important player on this team to winning basketball games when it comes to defense, when it comes to transition, when it comes to effort and energy. How many times did he dive on the floor for loose balls last night? I mean, Tyler, you were there basically courtside. He what dove on the floor two or three times last night? At the very least, you know, he reminds me of Malik Brown in a lot of ways. No, I'm kidding. But he reminds you of his teammate. <laughs> those, those two have really led this this bench unit. And 
that they certainly you can never really question the effort level of of Copeland or Brown. And that that's the type of energy this team needs at some point, because the last few games, Chris Bell, Justin Taylor, crickets. Yeah, and Taylor actually came alive in the second half a little bit, hit three threes. But looking at the numbers for Syracuse, so Judah Mintz, you know, your leading scorer as per usual with 18 points, four assists, four rebounds, turns the ball over three times, but, you know, that's normal. But then Malik Brown with a double-double, 15 and 10, including a three-pointer, which I have been clamoring for, <laughs> by the way, over the past month or so. I've watched him in warm-ups at a number of games I've been to, and I'm like, huh, Malik Brown, like, his form isn't bad. And I was talking to some people, I'm like, can Malik Brown shoot? And they're like, he did shoot in high school. He just like hasn't, you know, been asked to shoot. So he hasn't been shooting. And then what did Adrian Autry say about his shooting after the game? Because I know you were there. He, he said he hits shots all the time in practice and he's he's encouraged him to shoot more. Now, he went on to make a comment. If he can hit two and a half, three a game for us, that would be huge. That that That's a lot of three pointers in a game. That would mean he has to shoot like seven or eight. I but, mean, one to two is probably more likely. Uh, more likely, but I, I would totally appreciate that. I mean, he didn't miss a shot uh, against Niagara. He hit all of his free throws. He had all of his field goals, hit his lone three-pointer. His shooting looked very, very strong. He's not just someone that finishes in the paint. Obviously, that's where he's best, but he was pretty solid. Quadir Copeland, 12 points as well, and six assists with some really pretty passes. No, I mean, Quadir Copeland, this is a guy who just has it all. I mean, he's any he, like the thing is he had 12 points and eight assists and there's still so much room to grow. Took two threes in rhythm, catch and shoot like his. I, I don't think anybody his form is there. It's just about confidence. And once he makes one or two, then I think the floodgates start to open. Oh, teams are closing out hard. You know what that means? Pump fake can do what he does best. Drive into the paint and find a teammate. Uh, and, you know, his finishing ability at the rim is is, is still not 100% there. I think there's still a lot of room to grow. And this guy could become a consistent double-digit scorer in ACC play. Consistent double-digit scorer. That, that would be really, really strong for Syracuse men's basketball. And speaking of double-digit scores, Syracuse women's basketball had five of them in its win over St. Francis. That brings us to topic number three. Number three, 85 to 43, utter domination for Syracuse women's basketball over St. Francis in front of the second biggest crowd in program history. Over 9,000 were watching the Orange win. It was school day. 8,000 of those fans were kids. Probably the most electric atmosphere I've ever seen this team play within. And this team deserves to play in front of a crowd like that. It was awesome getting to watch that game. I mean, you know, the players talked about it after the game, having that support. You know, women's sports deserve that kind of support. We've seen the kind of impact that had, you know, the the most viewed uh, women's Final Four last year uh, in March and April, the Nebraska women's volleyball game that was played at, at Cornhusker Stadium that had, what, 90,000 people at it. Um, you, you know, and, and to have that kind of support – St. Francis was not the best opponent. I don't think yeah. anybody's denying that. But to have that kind of support for a program that is being built on the rise and and is a team that could definitely make the NCAA tournament, that's huge for Syracuse. It is. You talk about all the intangibles, all, all the off-court stuff. Felicia Leggett-Jack is leading a great team here. She handed out the hardwood hat, which is handed out after every game to the player that helps the team the most, to Dominique Camp, a, a grad student who was out with an injury but was still giving back, gave some shoes or slides or something to the team before through NIL. And so even players that aren't on the court are totally buying into this team and 
players on the court are, are making some history. Uh, Georgia Woolley up to a thousand career points. Uh, Deasia Fair within the top 20 scores in women's college basketball history. Uh, two, two of those milestones coming within about five minutes. That was pretty special. No, it, it was really, really cool. And to, to be to be there for that and, and see that happen. I mean, you know, like Felicia talked about it after the game that, you know, it, it meant a lot to the players and it, it's a testament to their hard work over the course of this season. Some more flowers to give out. Elena Rice had 12 points. Alyssa Latham had 12 points. Tyra Wood had 11 points. Oh, by the way, all those three players had over 10 rebounds. So some double doubles in action. And those peripheral players are really starting to play strong because that'll be important coming into ACC play, a ranked Notre Dame team coming to the Dome on New Year's Eve. And that was a team that gave Syracuse a lot of struggles last year. It's an important stretch coming up. Really important. In Syracuse, I'm looking at ESPN's, you know, uh, bracketology that updates every week. The Orange are projected nine seed right now. Uh, and it projected in the same bracket as one seed Iowa. Imagine Syracuse taking on Caitlin Clark in the round of 32. That would be uh, some some must-see TV. That would be really, really exciting. But, you know, for the Orange to be successful, they got to do well in the ACC. They have to win these big games. They have to play well in the fourth quarter because that was their downfall last year. Playing late was an issue. Playing early has been an issue. Some so starts recently for the Orange. And ACC play will be huge. ACC tournament play will be huge. SU had a disappointing loss to NC State in the ACC tournament last year. And so that that's something that Syracuse really wants to improve upon. And talking about conference play, that's also what Syracuse men's basketball is about to enter. And that brings us to topic number four. Number four. Nine and two in the non-conference slate, nine and three overall. Syracuse men's basketball did drop one game to Virginia, but now enters true ACC play. Starts with a game against Pittsburgh on December 30th. And Pittsburgh and Syracuse are two teams in a very similar spot, Ethan. And I think that's probably a perfect way to start ACC play. Not the Dukes and UNCs of the world, but you're also not starting with an easy win either. No, you're not. It's interesting. Looking at the first six games of ACC play for Syracuse, uh, I'm on, you know, Bart Torvik right now. He has Syracuse only favored to win one of them. I think for Syracuse, you kind of got to go three and three here. Uh, This is a really, this is a tougher stretch. Having to play Pittsburgh twice, who's in, I would say, arguably the top half of the league now after the way that, you know, the Panthers got back to the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, Syracuse lost to them twice last season. You you have to take a trip to Duke and a trip to Carolina, get home Boston College and home Miami, who's been a little bit disappointing as of late after coming into the year with such high expectations. But looking at these games, if you can go three and three in these first three ACC games, I mean, you'll take that. You will take that because – Pittsburgh right now is, is a quad a home Pittsburgh home Miami. Those are quad two wins at Duke at North Carolina at Pittsburgh. Those are all quad one opportunities. Like there's a lot of resume building potential for Syracuse in this first stretch of ACC play. I'm with you. I think home versus Pitt home versus Boston college have to be wins. And then it can't just be beat the teams that you should. There has, I mean, to I should say, I should say in this projection, uh, Bartovic has Pittsburgh plus 0.03 and Miami plus 0.05. So real okay. toss-ups. Yeah. But it's not just about winning games you should win or winning those close games. It's about getting those resume building wins, like you mentioned. And I'm not saying Syracuse has to beat Duke or has to beat UNC. None of these are must-win games yet. 
but getting one out of that group, I think would really be big just for the mentality of these players for building the veteran status that coach Autry is trying to instill in them. Yeah. And you know, that veteran status is only going to come with time and, and we'll see how this team develops over this first stretch, but it's interesting. You got nine days between Niagara and Pittsburgh and then you go Pittsburgh and then Duke just a couple days later. And then you have eight more days off before you play Boston College. So I'm curious what Autry is going to use with this lot of practice time here. How much rest is he going to give the players? How much is he going to work them during this time so they can be ready for what is you know starting on January 10th, the straight where they won't have any time off uh, before the end of the season? No, it'll be bang, bang, bang right after that. I mean, rest is important. I've never seen I haven't seen any of these players seem like they're slow, seem like they're tired, but. That's obviously before ACC play, and th- things will certainly get more difficult. They seemed a little I, – I would argue they seemed a little tired at the end of the Tennessee and Gonzaga games. Yeah, I mean, that's three days in a row. I, I'll give you that. You, you're right on that one. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, this a young team, they played 12 games now. They're starting to come of age, but we can't forget how young they are. A, a lot of sophomores leading this team, Judah Mintz, J.J. Starling, Quadir Copeland, Kyle Cuff, every single backcourt player is a sophomore. And then when Chance Westry comes back, he's also a sophomore. The old experienced player on this team is Benny Williams. And, and he he's played not- much better as of late. He's played he much better. He has, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a leader of this team. No. And, you know, it's hard to define who the leader is. I'd say the vocal leader at this point might be Quadir Copeland, uh, just because of how much the fans love him, because of how much his teammates respect him. Um, But, you know, I I would say in terms of emotional leader, it's probably J.J. Starling at this point. He's the guy that is, you know, out in front talking to the media. He's that kind of player. Judah Mintz is is the leader on the court. Everyone follows his lead. Um, But... You know, it'll be really interesting how these this first half of January goes because I think we'll learn a lot about this group. Well, speaking of leaders, Syracuse football does have a new leader, and he is officially taking charge after the bowl game. And now it's time for topic number five. Number five. The Fran Brown era is upon us. The bowl game behind us. It's been a very strong recruiting offseason for the Orange so far. That might not necessarily translate on the field. There's still a lot of work to do before the end of August, Ethan. Yeah, I mean, Syracuse just has to get a mindset of we're here to work. We're here to be better than 45 nothing. Flush it out completely. I still think there needs to be some adjustments and some improvements to this offensive line uh, through the transfer portal because we saw what happens Uh with the offensive line that Syracuse played with in the, uh, in the bowl game last night. Um, so I'm looking for a little bit more still from, uh, f- from this group, but I-, I feel like for the most part, you know, the positions Fran Brown addressed quarterback, hundred percent of need wide receiver, 100% of need pass rusher, 100% of need after what we saw this season, especially with Leon Lowry leaving for Wisconsin. And, you know, he was a pass rusher from the linebacker position. Syracuse won't be playing at three, three, five that we know, it remains to be seen, and you know we'll get to talk hopefully at some point to you know position coaches, coordinators to find out a little more intricacies about the scheme. But I I think there's no reason not to be excited for what the future is. I'm just I'm a little worried. Like I'm a little bit worried about this offensive line moving forward because I, there haven't been those massive improvements. And like also this is a very inexperienced game coaching staff. Yes, they can recruit, but how much will talent win out versus game management? 
there's in-game coaching decisions. You, you have to think about clock management, when to use timeouts. You have to think about play calling because not a lot of these guys have called plays before. I would have expected there to be like one really, not really old, but really experienced coordinator brought in. And that's not the decision Fran Brown made, but there, there is a little bit of concern when Syracuse is in halftime against NC State on the road in October. Are there going to be the adjustments made that need to be made? I don't know. I don't know. Coaching staff scrounged together the adjustments. They don't even know yet, really. No, and we're going to find out uh, rather shortly. But it just, you know, it's hard not to be optimistic, but it's also okay to not be fully all in and wait to see results. And, you know, we got eight months to wait now for games, which is, you know, a long, long time away. Yeah, there's there's plenty of time for speculation. What I'm worried about, just like you, the offensive line, it did not look pretty whatsoever in the Boca Raton Bowl. And there's only one recruit coming, a a three-star offensive lineman committed, nobody in the portal yet, it's still open. It feels like Fran Brown should be putting his foot all the way down on the gas on getting some sort of help in the trenches. No, there has to be because games are won and lost in the trenches. If Syracuse can improve on the offensive line, then I am much happier because we saw Kyle McCord's numbers this year when he had a clean pocket and when he was pressured. He is, I mean, most quarterbacks are much better with a clean pocket, but the guy is dialed when he has time to throw. If rushers, you know, in the ACC and the non-conference are constantly hounding him, then I'm a little bit worried. He's not He's not a scrambler at all. This is not going to be a Garrett Schrader, Eric Dungy, Tommy DeVito type of guy that can let loose with the legs a little bit, but still plenty of things to be happy about. Lots of skill position players, the best quarterback Syracuse has had probably in forever. I mean, who would you say McCord is the best quarterback? I mean, I mean, I mean, Tommy DeVito was a four-star quarterback. Yeah, but Uh, yeah, fair enough. Until I see him play at Syracuse, I, I can't really like, you could say by the numbers. Yeah. He's the best quarterback since X, but until I see him play and, you know, he passes the Ethan Frank eye test, then I'll, I'll have to, you know, the jury's still out. Last question for you, Ethan, where does all this recruiting, uh, with wide receivers leave Kendall long? You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I'm happy you're holding me accountable for this, Tyler. Um, you know, he played on special teams. You know, people forget that touchdown he scored against Colgate. I don't. I don't forget that. Um, well, it's going to be an offseason of grinding. And uh, I haven't sold my Kendall Long stock. And I, I definitely think it is possible that through an offseason of work and and dedication and preparation that he can earn himself a role on this team. But if he enters the transfer portal, then he's doing what's best for Kendall Long. And I respect that. Who knows? Maybe he'll get in the gym with uh, Quidier Copeland during the offseason, get on that grind and and get better. It's going to be a quiet week for Syracuse Athletics. Nothing really going on until December 30th. Plenty of time for speculation about the football team. There will hopefully be some more recruiting news. And for that, make sure you check out theorangefizz.com. You can also follow us at OrangeFizz on X. But for today, that's Ethan Frank. I'm Tyler Aiken. And as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.